is art? That's a question I don't have the time or inclination to answer, the answer to which many others have very laboriously figured out. Those people might have described art as involving aesthetics, communication, intention, meaning, audience, or creativity. However, after much turbulent discussion, they came to the conclusion that art is pretty much anything that you decide it is. By that metric, the only one that matters, never believe it is not only art, but it's good art. A creative endeavour made with intention for an audience, albeit belligerently, with an evolving sense of aesthetics, and it doesn't mean a damn thing. Part 1. Nonsense verse. Meaning is meaningless. The podcast might well mean something, but I don't know what the hell it is and I'm not about to figure it out. The meaning of the podcast is in constant flux, not just singular, but diverging between authorial intent and audience interpretation, fraying into infinite ends every time it's heard, splintering in memory and reinterpretation. The meaning of the podcast, and maybe everything else too, but the podcast is what's important here, is so multiple and changing that it's inconsequential. We might as well decide that it doesn't really mean anything at all, not permanently or in a way that sticks, we're too shifting and strained for that. Never believe it is a piece of art that rebels against meaning. Meaning is our strict dad that wants us to study real subjects like maths and chemistry, while we're smoking in the skate park for most of fifth period. We don't need meaning and we never have, we're perfectly fine without it, and the freedom of not being bound to a definition is overall pretty delightful. It can be very liberating not to understand something, freely and without shame. Never believe it is made to be unruly and difficult to comprehend, and that's the point. Or is it? Enjoyment of the show doesn't require a definite interpretation of what it is, or what it's for. Nor, for that matter, does it require actual enjoyment. It could be argued, then, that the show is about meaning itself, about willful misinterpretation for the sake of play, about questioning and eluding definition. That could be an interesting thing for a podcast to be about. But who can say where the road goes, where the day flows? Only time. We refuse to answer these questions on purpose. That or we don't think to answer them. Because it's interesting and because it's fun and because we've never been invested in being easy. The willful misinterpretation continues on our parts. Through as much of the podcast as possible, we obstinately refuse to know what we're talking about. It goes without saying that the plot of narrative doesn't matter. It never really did. What matters more is the fun we find in using it as a lens through which we wildly misinterpret reality. We're drawing pictures in the air and making them real, or making something from nothing at all. We're finding meaning outside of meaning and inventing something to believe, or to pretend to. This constant invention is a rebellion as well, a refusal to put up with what we have on a small and inconsequential scale. On a larger scale, though, this action is revolutionary, a machine for hope. Once we dare to invent and act upon something that replaces our unsatisfactory reality, we have our first steps towards building something better. That's a bit hyperbolic to say of a comedy, sorry, I mean spirituality and well-being podcast about Naruto. All we're being rude to is the plot of a beloved and long-running anime, and the beliefs we're replacing the story with aren't always radical. But there's power too in silliness. Our tenets and our interpretations don't have to mean anything. All they have to be is what they are. But misinterpretation can be a weapon in the wrong hands, used to distract and mislead and shift reality into a platform for oppressors. Misinterpretation can take the words out of our mouths and turn them back around to crush us, to argue us into submission. The tool of misinterpretation can be used to uphold a system that seeks to sustain itself at the cost of human lives and freedoms. 
This is why it's all the more important for us to play and to find ways to use oppressive tools against oppressive systems. By playing, we can practice creating preferable realities, imagine and cultivate freedom, exercise power in powerless situations, and stand up for our ability to have fun. Playing with misinterpretation, even on a small scale, is a move against order and the expectations and rules that can limit us. And sometimes it's fun not to understand things, or not to understand things that in turn don't understand things, or to watch someone else delight in their own misunderstanding. At least we hope it is, but either way, we're enjoying ourselves. There's a cultural emphasis on comprehending, on there being a right answer to know in the first place that makes the real world more terrifying for people who don't always understand things or get them right. Getting it wrong can have dangerous social consequences, ridicule and isolation, shame and ableism. When other oppressions come into play, mistakes like this can lead to incarceration and even death. We get hurt this way as children and it stays with us. We learn to be afraid of not understanding, to be ashamed of the things we haven't learned yet, and in turn this stops us learning, growing and accepting ourselves and our potentials. Never Believe It gets things wrong with abandon. It gets itself wrong and it gets podcasting wrong, not just on purpose but through genuine, messy human error. But that's part of it too. A singular, beautiful feature of the show. Part 2. Form over function. If the podcast were to be about things, which it isn't, one of the things it might be about is the way it looks. Not the cover art specifically, although that's part of it, but the music and the chanting and the glitching in the episode descriptions, the staring eyes and the averted narratives, the cultish excess and the jarring low production editing. The podcast is designed to be unpalatable, in a fun way, disturbing and friendly, self-aware but also heartfelt and sincere. Never believe it could be seen as a bundle of aesthetic choices held together with an elastic band, cultivating an atmosphere with their combination alone. The effect of the podcast is to have an effect, to refer to things and to create associations to no other end than making them. And you could say that this focus on aesthetics is a singular trait of commercialism that prioritises the look and lustre of things over the labour that went into their creation and the material effect on the world. To that I'd say, that's where you're wrong because we only make bad aesthetic choices that make people uncomfortable. Our refusal to be polished, cohesive or sellable, to follow the established rules of design and the emerging rules of podcasting is a necessary part of what we're doing. Often our edits show the bones of the work we put in, rather than having the unnatural effortlessness that comes with good branding. By making ourselves alien and unpredictable, we're keeping ourselves human. It's also notable that, while aesthetics are important to capitalism, the ability to function is maybe even more important. Function is engineering an effect, is providing a particular service, is developing a unique selling point, is making money. Under capitalism, aesthetics need to function, but once we detach them from their usefulness, we can start to wriggle out from beneath the boot. The aesthetics of the podcast speak louder than its words, and that's one of its strengths. It's a series of artistic choices that refuse to function in any constructive way, never believe it eludes purpose, and thereby also eludes qualification. The show is resolutely unsellable. Every promo we make is a nightmare landscape that will never be used. We're hard to explain and we're harder to pitch. And our target demographic is a very slim Venn diagram of mostly just us. Part 3. Podcasting is play. If the podcast does have a function, it's play. Not entertainment, but play. These are both valuable, but they're different. Entertainment can both nourish and distract. It can soothe irritations and anxieties. It's often passive and meant to be consumed. 
Play is participatory, not always good or bad, often regarded as purposeless and inconsequential, but also a fundamental aspect of human life. When we have fun, we can practice our revolutions and imagine our power. Play is an action that gets reproduced differently each time the podcast is made and each time it's heard, but it can't be bought or sold. It's not always pretty or elegant or easy to digest, and it doesn't have to be. Play doesn't have to be anything other than play. We simply like it. And the same goes for the recording and production of the podcast. The aesthetic of the podcast is a vague collage of choices, of images and sounds that we enjoy just because we enjoy them. They don't have to do anything, they can just exist, creating their chaos meaning or meaning nothing at all. The podcast reflects us as human beings, who don't, or at least wouldn't in a better world, have to do anything but exist to be good, to be legitimate, to be worthy of space and consideration. Part 4. Process of a product. While listening to the podcast can count as play, I wouldn't know it for sure because I can't experience it as anyone other than myself, as someone who creates the show. And what I do know is that recording and even editing the podcast is play, something that we all do our best to keep fun and safe for everyone involved, as well as creatively fluid and alive. To us who make it, the process itself is the artwork, and it's more important than the podcast being good to listen to. Probably any podcast, but specifically our podcast, is not just the thing you can download from your podcasting app of choice, but an ongoing relationship between its creators, a chain reaction of idea generation and realisation, a living creative process and a game. The podcast is this growing, mutating process and the growing, mutating document that reflects it. You can hear this process clearly in its result, which, don't get me wrong, is also very good. The podcast, the part you can listen to, is self-reflexive and self-referential, turning around and screaming at its own ass. The podcast, the part we perform together roughly every week, holds some part of itself secret, known only to those who are there, on purpose or by accident. It's not massively wrinkle-brained to suggest that a piece of art is differently experienced by all who experience it, but I never believe that we harness this intentionally, mystifying ourselves for our non-us audience, complicating our relationship with them with frustration, censorship and inside jokes. The editing of the show creates more distance between the experience of recording and the experience of listening to what was recorded. It throws reality into unreality, shifts us from relative sense into nonsense, and obscures parts of the conversation which may or may very easily not be important for understanding. In this way, the listenable, you can listen to it, but you will not like it, part of the podcast looks at itself and can't comprehend what it sees, and the recorded part of the podcast is always in flux, remaining alive through being unfixed. When something's covered up, it's still there. Or is it? By creating a mismatch between the live and the listenable versions of the podcast, I do think we're able to convey the energy and the spontaneity of the artistic process which the podcast is kind of about. Although the execution of ideas can disorient or confuse the audience, as well as leaving them unconvinced by its intended effect, it's also clear that the fun of having the idea and doing it was always more important than its successful execution. You couldn't listen to this podcast and imagine that any of us are interested in success, at least not in a straightforward way. But never believe it, we're trying to escape the definition of what a podcast is, which is chasing us with a cartoon hammer, and we'd very much like to keep it that way. This whole mismatch is intentional and arbitrary, but I think it's important as well. It says... something. Who knows what or if it matters about podcasting in general, 
about parasocial relationships and about friendship archives, about meaning and making and interpretation. Not only that, but it's part of our all-important vibe, chaotic and messy and sort of lovingly rude. Podcasts are so often about cultivating an impression of naturalism and companionship, for better or for worse. This is often very comforting and special, and I know that I, for one, couldn't really live without it, but showing the bones of what we do in the final product is how we call attention to the falseness of podcasting and make that falseness a really valuable feature of our work. And if that display of artifice looks like bad podcasting, then, well, part five. Failure is good, actually. Must a podcast be good? Is it not simply enough to hear noises in your ears? This is the question we're asking you when it comes down to it. But don't answer, because failure is good actually, and we meant to do it like this. Like play, failure is a way to elude and subvert the expectations of casualism. Success, functionality, polish. Embracing failure is a legitimate method for making a livable life for yourself outside of these oppressive structures. And again, anti-podcasting is a pretty inconsequential endeavor, except it's one of those little ways that we practice and value failure, question what it means to fail, and take pride in ourselves and our work. In angling towards clumsiness and abrasiveness, failure, we're also taking power and ownership over our work by, somewhat paradoxically, giving up control. The podcast is chaotic and so is the world, in a much worse, less manageable, less fun way. At least for me, the acceptance of failure, failure to be a normal podcast, to be a marketable podcast, to be a listenable podcast, parallels the acceptance of the big powerlessness, the powerlessness we feel about the world. It helped me retain the notion that there are things I can't control and I can still be okay. In this way, it's also kind of a power fantasy, a narrative that I do get to control and that I can fly into the sun if I so choose. Never Believe It creates a funhouse mirror reflection of the plot of the long-running anime that many refer to as Naruto. In failing, failing to understand what Naruto is about, we take power and turn it into something that we want, that we like to see. I don't think we can take the same attitude with the world at large, because some things are happening and cannot be ignored or twisted into what they aren't, but the stories that we're able to tell ourselves and each other are still important for staying alive. If we can do it here, how can we do it out there, and what will it change? When reality has the potential to be so unpleasant, experiencing an unpleasant thing in a safe way can provide a very particular kind of catharsis. The podcast has been described before as guided dissociation, which, not to use a mental health term in a way that might be a bit too offhand, we do want our audiences to feel like they're going out of their minds, but also like that's a perfectly reasonable and safe response. Where else do we get to feel like that? Not many places, I don't think. And we hope that our ruliness encourages, or at least permits, your own unruliness. Unruliness in the things you make and write and say and perform and put out into the world. Be good to each other still, of course, but don't do it neatly. Do it messy and wild and weird, and in a way that doesn't make sense. We're still absolutely, definitely, not about anything. But if there were anything I'd like people to take away from the podcast, it would be that they should go ahead and make something bad. That, and that, in order to save the bees, we need to abolish and prosecute the police. <laughs>